Hello, everyone, and welcome to a seriously thought-provoking episode of the Weekend Superheroes Podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 17th. I'm Sean, sitting with me always is Pat, and Steve, filling in for Darius, we have Tasha. Tasha, how are you? Great. How are you guys doing, by the way? Darius got a lot better looking. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. <laughs> Those are big shoes to fill. So, Steve, who did we talk to last week? We talked to a ridiculously awesome mind reader, uh, Adam Heinz. Adam Heinz. He was super cool. And uh, he literally blew my mind. Did apart. he read your mind? Yeah. Exploded it into pieces. Like, he was in my head. He left the door open, actually, when he left. <laughs> I'm kind of pissed off about that. Is he still living there? Yeah. <laughs> Him and Billy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you kick Billy out, by the way? I don't, no, I he's still him. here somewhere. Okay. I will check the closets. Uh, so today's topic was inspired by a conversation that happened last podcast between uh, Dasha and Steve. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, it was not recorded, but it was. Uh, it got pretty deep. And what was it about? Uh, life After Death. That's right. and The uh, Tupac album? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got, got super deep, like Biggie, Tupac. Murder, East Coast, and, West yeah, Coast, it yeah. It was crazy. Well, I'm sure you two weren't the only ones talking about it. Since the beginning of time, people have been fascinated with what happens after we die. Some historians believe that the obsession with life's meaning combined with the fear of death even gave birth to modern religion. Now, my religion tells me that there's a heaven for those who believe in Jesus and generally don't act like a douchebag throughout their lives, and hell for people like you three. Yep. Hey, I got half of that. <laughs> so is there something after this, or are we alone in this universe with absolutely no meaning to our lives? Steve? Uh, after this, I, I honestly don't think there's anything alone in the universe. Uh, there's, some, there's some shit out there, I think. I don't know. Like I, 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 like like you, I grew up going to church and stuff, and they taught us heaven and hell and Jesus and all that stuff. And I, even like at a young age, I was like, uh, I'm not really sure about all of that. So like I started to question it like at a young age, and just I mean there could be, and if I'm wrong, fuck. And that's why you're a heathen now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I'm wrong, I mean that sucks. But uh, Jesus forgives everybody, so I think you have to believe a little bit. Ah, uh, well. Yeah, but as long as you believe right at the very end, you're fine. Yeah. I mean, there's all these people who you hear, like, they're dying, they're dying. Oh, shit. Uh, Jesus, uh, you know what? Yeah, My bad. Good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Mr. Jump In. What's, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, so I am too scared to think that there's nothing after we die. So you do it because just in case. Yeah, so there's uh, someone who said that if you live like there isn't a God, you better be right. Amen. Uh, Dasha, what are your thoughts here? Well, I don't know. I'm always open to options. I like to uh, explore all of them. But some of the tales told, in my opinion, are very man-made. And they just don't seem realistic. Super well said. So what would be your ideal afterlife? Dogs everywhere. <laughs> so many dogs. One giant podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Uh, no, just mainly, uh, in a sense, reincarnation. Oh, all right. That's a good one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, everyone seems to like that. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure by now we've all heard of people seeing a bright light before they die. So many researchers say this glow is due to the effects of something called anoxia. That's the uh, oxygen deprivation, which can affect the optic nerves. Others suspect that the trauma to the right temporal lobe, the area of the brain that is responsible for perception, can cause the senses to malfunction. 
There was even a, a neurologist in, in Ontario who replicated the bright light phenomenon by stimulating the right temporal lobe with uh, mild electromagnetic fields. It's actually kind of crazy. Huh. You should look that up. Um, though yeah, science, that's crazy Canucks. <laughs> though science can explain some of these experiences, we still don't have a full understanding of how human consciousness works. And whether you believe in an afterlife or not, what makes it so fascinating is that we don't know for sure. You can guess, speculate, or go off faith alone, but no one has ever come back from the dead and given a full account of what happens the moment they cease to exist. Or have they? 36-year-old Crystal McVeigh was in the hospital being treated for a rare pancreatic disease three years ago when she was accidentally given more pain medicine than her body could handle. Basically, I died of a drug overdose. Her heart stopped, and in the nine minutes doctors worked to revive her, she says she was at the gates of heaven talking with God. I was standing in the most beautiful tunnel of light. There was no words. It was just effortless communication between us. So what you just heard was an ABC News story about a woman named Crystal McVeigh. 2009, doctors performed a routine procedure that triggered pancreatitis. She ended up with 110-degree fever, coded, and died for a full nine minutes. When she finally came to, without any brain damage, mind you, she had a full account of what she saw, heard, and felt when she was dead. That's pretty crazy. This is not an isolated event. There have been thousands of these accounts, and they all describe similar detailed descriptions of every moment they'd experienced during what they what is now known as a near-death experience, or an NDE, as I will uh, call it moving forward. I feel like the more that people talk about that kind of thing is you hear it, and it's in the back of your mind that... Like, that thing, that happens when you die. So, like, people are obviously, like, kind of coerced or pushed towards that direction. Like, they think they saw that stuff. Well, it paves the way for yeah. that oh, type okay, of thinking. Yeah. Okay. It does. Right. And it's easy. It's easy to write those off as hallucinations or heavy-duty mind tricks. However, the issue here is that these stories are all created after the patient has been pronounced clinically dead. Which begs the question, can there be consciousness of the mind when the brain is absent. Till now the concept was that the brain is the producer of consciousness and the producer of memories. And when you study near death experience, then you have to say, well, we have to reconsider this concept. And perhaps we should consider the brain not as a producer, but as a receiver of consciousness. And that's a kind of revolution. So that was cardiologist Dr. Pim Van Lommel. He is from Holland. That's a lot of names. And welcome to the vegan superheroes. He has done some heavy, heavy research on NDEs, saying we have to reconsider what we know about consciousness. He's only focused on studying cardiac arrest patients because when the heart stops beating, all the brain function has essentially ended. Since NDEs occurs when the brain is clinically dead, we have to find a way to explain how the mind can function without the use of a brain. Is it really consciousness, or is it something else entirely? Well, Sean, you've been functioning without a brain for years. Yeah, okay, so how's that work? There we go. So near-death experiences, or uh, as Sean will call them, NDEs. Going uh, forward. They, yeah, they, they, as the cool kids say. Yeah. Um, they, would ha- they were happening all over the world, but it turns out that no one put them together until the mid-1970s. Uh, turns out there was this guy, uh, an American psychologist and philosopher, Dr. Raymond Moody, uh, which psychologist and philosopher, I mean, he's a, a ton of fun at parties, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Can't he, wait to talk to that guy. Yeah. He's actually the one who coined the phrase near-death experience in his best-selling book titled Life After Life, which I think Tupac then ripped off for his yeah. album title. 
Um, but in it, he had an account of 150 people who reported near-death experiences. Now, that being said, he does have his critics. Uh, turns out that Dr. Moody uh, is a strong personal believer in the paranormal. So there's probably a little bit of bias there. I'd say um, so. You know, and, and it turns out he was also accused of cherry-picking. Uh, which in the, like the research field means that if he found something that didn't fit his hypothesis, uh, it just not, didn't yeah. get included. It doesn't exist. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Well, with that, you're welcome to call bullshit. In fact, I want you to stay skeptical. But there was a professor. Look him up. His name is Professor Bruce Grayson. He was actually one of Moody's former students. Uh, he wanted a more objective way to look at these experiences. Because if it happens once, it's by chance. Twice, it's coincidence. But if the same thing happens three or more times, it's called a pattern. So it came up with something called the NDE scale. It was a checklist of items to ensure stories that we were hearing were in line with what we knew was a real near-death experience. Now, Grayson came up with about 16 common elements, later whittled down by Dr. Pim Van Hommel from Holland, yeah. who we heard <laughs> earlier, to about 10 prevalent components of an NDE. So people who have uh, NDE, as you said, going forward, almost always report the awareness of being dead, uh, having an out-of-body experience, and seeing your own lifeless body, which that, to me, is fucking crazy, uh, and having the feeling of strong, positive emotions. I stared at it and slumped over the steering wheel was my body. I was pulled out of my body, and all of a sudden, I looked down, and I could see my body stuck in the mud. But I'm in a body. I can feel it. No longer am I cold and freezing and stuck in the mud, but I'm warm, and I'm filled with a love and a peace that I cannot explain. Next thing I knew, I was looking down at the top of my car. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. And I remember a loud roaring sound, a buzzing sound, bells going off, and this kind of a thinking in within to myself. I was wishing I could communicate to the medical team that this is okay. You do not need to save this girl. I was happy. I was in peace. I was in knowingness. I lifted up out of my body, and I felt, I just felt all the pain went away, and I was in this other ethereal body that was uh, perfect, that didn't have a fracture, didn't have the damaged face. They talk about moving through a dark hallway or a tunnel and uh, eventually making their way towards a bright light, and most of them end up actually uh, communicating with that bright light. I was sucked away like a piece of dust in a vacuum hose, and I was cascading through a dark tunnel. I suddenly lost interest in what was going on down there, because I saw this white light over here. I experienced being in a dark tunnel. The tunnel felt familiar, it felt comfortable, it was dark, as they say, often in these stories. Feeling that was coming through this tunnel of love. At that point, I just kept floating, and and I saw this big tunnel. I had a very atypical experience. Big tunnel with a light at the end of the tunnel. And there before me was this beam of light, which had previously appeared as just a little white dot at the end. They of this report tunnel. meeting with deceased people, and then you know, there's like. The game shows were like, yeah, this is your life. Yeah, they have an open review of your entire life. Oh, fuck that noise. At all parts of the sphere, up, down, sideways, left, right, 
all over were, were miniature motion pictures of my lives and what was going on. And I could see, I could touch, I could feel, I could sense every emotion that was taking place in all of those lifetimes. And I started seeing my life pass by, my infancy, my childhood, and I, I felt good about it. I'm watching myself, oh, I remember that. And I'm sorry, that was bad. <laughs> God's response was just more than I could understand. They always end being denied access to heaven. Or... You get the choice to return back to your body. Is that really a choice? Yeah, right. Like, what do you? That, nah, you can't come here. I mean, you can go to hell. You can either or go to hell or you, or you can get, get a mulligan. Yeah, I'll take the mulligan. I'll take that mulligan. I'm not going back. And I really wanted to stay because it was really good there. And then the light said to me for the second time, Andy, you're going back. And I said, No, you don't understand. I don't want to go back into that body. I don't want to go back on Earth. I'm home here in the light. And then the light said for the third time, Andy, you're going back. And as soon as I heard the K from the back, I was pushed back so into that my body. is one of the strangest part of the NDEs is that nobody wants to go back. They all want to stay where they're at. But the best part of these NDEs are the after effects, which are often summarized by researchers to include a number of attitude and belief changes, huge radical changes in personality and new outlooks on life and death and human relations, spirituality, the whole nine yards. All of them seem to be beneficial. It's like Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of A Christmas Carol. It's just like they completely changed their lives around. Now, these strangers all had similar stories. But the only issue I had with these testimonials is that these folks all seem to have some religious background and predetermined idea of what heaven is supposed to be. If I was going to believe this, I needed someone on the other end of the spectrum, an atheist, or someone with no preconceived notion of an afterlife until their near-death experience. And then I found him. Our guest tonight has one hell of a story, pun intended. He was a committed atheist and mocked Christianity almost at every turn. That is, until the day he died. His story has been featured on NBC's Today Show, The Oprah Winfrey Show, 48 Hours, and even the Discovery Channel. Please welcome Christian minister and author of My Descent into Death, the Reverend Howard Storm. Howard, how are you tonight? I'm good. Thank you for having me on, Sean. Thank you for coming. We're very excited. Uh, but before we get into this, uh, tell us a little bit about who you were before your near-death experience. I was um, raised in... The suburb of Boston in the 50s and 60s, we went to Sunday school. And then when I became a teenager, I thought church was like um, dreadfully boring. And my sisters had already um, opted out of going to church and I stopped going to church. And uh, my father and I were conflicting and I got interested in um, being as rebellious as possible. This is in the um, mid 60s. And, you know, um, Good turned against <laughs> we know what the 60s were about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I lived in San Francisco from 66 to 72, so I, I got my bona fides, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you were in the heart of it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did the whole thing. I mean, you know, don't need to go into details. I did it all. <laughs> We'd love you to go into detail. And remember, <laughs> remember, this isn't a daytime talk show. You're talking to millennials, those idiots uh, that walk around like they rent the place. Yeah, them. Uh, <laughs> well, <I'm, laughs> Basically, um, what, you know, Timothy Leary said, um, 
turn on, tune in, and drop out. You know, that's that's what we were uh, basically doing. Drug, sex, and rock and roll was like our our faith, our our life, and it's just pure hedonism. I mean, we lived for pleasure, lived for um, sensation, and we thought that uh, the world was basically a terrible place. This was the era of the Vietnam War, and uh, you know, everybody, you know, of my generation, they were against the war. Um, uh, the the most heated people against the war were the guys that came back from Vietnam. They were the ones that were really rabidly against the war, and uh, so we were just uh, we were um, just living for ourselves. I was an art student in San Francisco. Um, went to the University of California, Berkeley. Did my graduate work and got a job in Kentucky as an art professor. And I was a committed atheist. I had a wife and kids, and I was going to um, try and make it as an artist and make a living as a, a professor at a university. Okay, so let's talk about the day you died. How did it happen? That was June 1st, 1985, and I had been taking a group of my art students around Europe. We were, had been gone um, three weeks, and this was the next to the last day of our tour. And on that Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, trying to uh, rally the uh, late sleepers together to make one more museum visit, and they were all exhausted um, going to museums all over Europe. Uh, I had a perforation of the small stomach, which is a hole, a hole burst through. That's probably due to an ulcer. Um, and I was, it 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 hurt um, more than any pain that I'd ever experienced before in my life, and it just took me to the ground. And I was uh, cussing, screaming, yelling, thrashing, and my wife called a doctor. I mean, called the desk. Who called a doctor and he came right away knew what was the matter told me that i had to have surgery immediately and called for an ambulance they took me to the um, big uh, general city hospital in paris and i was taking an emergency room exam and they said that i um, had to have the surgery now if i didn't have it in a few hours i'd die doctors in the united wow. states all told me that that was in fact the case it was pretty critical and they sent me off a few blocks away to the surgical hospital and put me in a room to await the surgeon who never showed up because it was the weekend. Oh, man. Socialized medicine. <laughs> um, wow. So not, not only did I never never see the doctor that day, um, there was no one to prescribe anything, and I hadn't been given any um, any kind of medication at all. Not, I mean, absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing means nothing. Like, I didn't have a pillow. I didn't have a top sheet. You know, I didn't have a blanket. I hadn't. I was just like laying on this bed that because horrific. I thought any minute this a surgeon was going to show up and I was going to have a surgery. So um, the pain just got worse and worse and went from like um, horrendous, unbelievable pain to um, many times worse than that because the stomach acid was migrating oh, from geez. guts, wow. and I was digesting myself. Oh, <laughs> and it feels like fire. How old were you? 38, which is like a great time to be alive. You know, I mean, I was strong and healthy. I thought I was healthy. You know. Wow, that's crazy. Um, I, part, you know, part of the problem, I mean, I I mean, I, I brought some of this on myself. Uh, I was drinking a lot of gin, neat, um, you know, um, eating, eating anything and everything, you know, without any uh, reservation. I mean, I just... I just lived to the max. I mean, I thought that was what life was about. 
You know, you're describing my life right now. Yeah, so um, <laughs> you're really, you're really, yeah, you're, you're, you're hitting a little too right? close to home. So <laughs> then what? Yeah, then what? So at eight thirty that night, a nurse came into the room and said that they were sorry they were na- unable to find a doctor. Now I had far exceeded my life expectancy to every, according to every doctor I've ever talked to, and because you know I'm fast approaching um, ten hours here, and. Doctors told me that my maximum um, survival rate would have been five hours. So it was really hard to breathe. The nurse said they were unable to find a doctor and they'd try and get one the next day, which would be Sunday. So I, I knew it was time to uh, bail out, and I didn't believe in anything. So I just thought, you know, okay, it's the end. So I said my goodbyes to my wife and tell my parents that I loved them and my sisters and all that. And, she finally sat down and cried, and I closed my eyes and went unconscious. And to my, I don't know how long I was unconscious, of course, but um, to my amazement, all of a sudden I was standing next to the bed, and I felt great. No more pain, and I just felt better than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I was completely uh, intact in every way. And I um, tried to communicate with my wife. She, um, I didn't realize it, but she didn't see me standing there yelling and screaming and cussing at her. And I tried to contact a roommate I had, and he uh, just looked through me as if I didn't exist. And the um, disturbing thing was is that there was a body in the bed that I'd been in, and it looked remarkably like me. But I would not accept the fact that it was me because you can't be standing in a room looking at your body lying in a bed. Yeah, that's, that's not that doesn't, that's crazy. That doesn't compute. Right. No. So, so what did you think? You saw a body in a bed that looked like you. You're in a hospital in Paris. You just said goodbye to everybody. What did you think at this time? I, I need a gin. I thought... <laughs> Neat. I, 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 I thought... Somehow they had made a mannequin of me and put it in the bed to mess with me. Wow. But I thought, why would they go to all that trouble? Yeah, I mean, right. they don't even know me. I mean, it's like a lot of work to just mess with me, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, we're laughing, but, but if you don't know what's going on, I, I mean, guess, that's a reasonable I, explanation, yeah. right? That's the only I, explanation I, you could have. I, I also knew it was, that was pretty improbable, but anyways, it was the best I could come up with. And then I heard people calling me outside the room. Uh, by name in English, and so I went over to the doorway of the room, and there was a group of people up there, and they were calling me, um, and I said, I'm sick, I need a doctor, I'm waiting for a surgeon. They said, we know all about you, hurry up, it's time to go, let's go. So I went with them out into the hallway, which was um, gray and um, unclear, and followed these people, and they encircled me and led me on this long journey into darkness. And we got to a point where um, it was uh, completely dark and they were getting nasty and um i said i'm not going with you any further and at that they turned on me and we started a fight and then they started to take me apart sorry. bit by bit sorry before we move forward what did they look like i was like or were they dressed like hospital yeah, people right right like, what did they look like yes. they were all dressed like hospital person they 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 appeared to be wearing hospital clothing i mean they, it was just everything was very gray and there were men and women there were no children and um they they just look like normal people. Wow. Okay. And they spoke English, so that was... Yeah. Okay. And I thought that was weird because we were in Paris, you know. Why do you uh, say no children? Um, I think it's important that in that place there were no children. I never saw any children. I don't think children would go to hell anyway. Were there children in the place where you were before? You mean the hospital? Yes. Yeah, I no. think... 
No, no children in the hospital either. Okay, just asking. Um, okay, so you're, they, they led you down a hallway. Um, you didn't like where you were going. You fought back. They fought you. Um, and then what happened? So eventually um, they turned me into a piece of roadkill. I was just lying there all ripped apart. And they had um, taken a great deal of satisfaction in doing that. And it was very painful. But um, even more painful than the physical action was the... Uh, uh, emotional, you know, why are they doing this to me? And I um, heard a voice say to me, not from them, but it seemed to come out of me that I uh, pray to God. And I thought, what a stupid idea. I don't believe in God. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I, and I thought, I don't believe in God. I don't know. I don't know how to pray. I can't pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, okay, when I was a kid, I said some prayers. What were they? And I couldn't remember anything. And I started the Pledge of Allegiance and uh, Lincoln's, <laughs> Lincoln's, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and, you know, things that I'd memorized in high school plays and stuff. And it, and then finally I came upon the Lord is my shepherd, you know. That's better, uh, than, it's better than four score and seven years ago. Yeah, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> Romeo, Romeo, war for out thou Romeo. <laughs> and uh, when I did that, the people around me were very agitated and very angry and told me there was no God. Nobody could hear me. They were going to really hurt me now. And, but it made them so pissed off. Um, I really liked saying anything about God. So I was saying some very um, uh, crude things. God's going to get you. You know, you suck. He'll beat your ass. And stuff like that. <laughs> My um, God can beat up your God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't have a God. They were they were their own gods. Um yeah. So, uh, they left me there, and in that place, I thought about my life and thought about how um, I wasn't—I wasn't anything that I had hoped to be. Okay, so they left you in a dark room. Who did you think they were? People like me who had uh, gone down the sewer pipe of the universe. They—they they had passed on. These are these are deceased. Yeah, yeah. People. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. So, so go ahead. So in that. Um, in that situation, I realized that I was stuck there and uh, there was nowhere for me to go and I was going to probably be there forever. And it was a pretty hopeless situation when I remembered my childhood um, faith of a Jesus who chased away the monsters under my bed and uh, when I was a little boy. And so I called out to him and he came and took me out of that place. Um, and we went, we were outside of heaven. And he called a group of angels around me, and they uh, went over my life in detail. And that was um, kind of rough because I was a huge disappointment to them. Okay, so we are uh, th we are fascinated by this part of this because we, we talked about this before we came on. Explain to me the life review. Is it a screen in front of you? Is it just in front of your eyes? Is it in is, your mind? Is it a trial? Is, yeah, is it a trial? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't a trial. It was, they showed me in chronological order um, scenes in my life. And the interesting thing, they, they were like holographic projections coming from them. And the, one of the features that I thought was interesting, um, they, were, they had the props, like me and my mother sitting at the kitchen table, but the rest of the kitchen wasn't there. It was just me and my mom and the table, you know, talking. It's wow. unbelievable. So, uh, I, sorry, just to back up a little bit. So you said you were in that dark place alone um, before Jesus came. You know, obviously you don't know how long really passed, but how long did you feel you were in that place? Well, the interesting thing was is that I, 
very clearly was aware that I had no sense of time. So it was a long, long time. <laughs> wow. Long okay. time. Okay. <laughs> very cool. Okay. So uh, continue. So when we got through the life review, I realized that what I had been created for was to care about other people, to be a kind and compassionate human being. And um, I had missed that whole point and thought life was about me fulfilling my own desires. I was a self-centered, manipulative, successful American guy, you know? And, the American uh, dream. Yeah. And that was a huge disappointment to them. So Jesus said, do you have any questions? And I said, I got a million questions. So I asked all my questions. Everything I asked, he answered and took me places and showed me things, and it was wonderful. I guess you couldn't give us one of those secrets right now, could you? Well, they, they're not secrets. I mean, I think the most important one was at the end of all that question and answer thing, he told me that I had to come back to this world, which was um, I argued um, as strongly as I possibly could to not come back to this place. And I wanted to go to heaven because that's uh, heaven's really fun and interesting and exciting. And this place um, has its... Uh, downside and i was trying to point that out to him and i said so what do you want me to do if i come back and he said don't love the person that you're with and i said okay fine got it what else do you want me to do and he said no that's it and he said just love the person that you're with and i said well i want to build something i'm an artist I, i'm a sculptor i'm a painter i mean I, i'll build i'll build you something you know and he said no please don't build me something i don't i don't need a building i don't want a building you know um just just love the person you're with i said well that's the whole plan? And he said, yep, that's the whole plan. That's all there is to it. And I said, well, not much of a plan. But he said, it's God. He, he told me it's God's plan. And I went, oh, well, if it's the big guy's plan, then I guess i got to go with the plan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, did he give you a choice to either stay in heaven or to go back, or did you absolutely have to go back, or were you? No, not? he didn't give me any choice at all. I wanted to. I wanted to go to. He I wanted to be in heaven, and he won. He wanted me back here. Back because you were denied access to heaven, or yes, you were yes. denied access. Okay. Not not fit. I wasn't fit. You weren't fit to get to heaven. Yeah, well, that we're all screwed. Is frightening. <laughs> That is frightening. I, I give up. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're toast. I'm out at this point. That's. But, no, I mean, uh, all God wants us to do is to just um, do the best that we can in terms of uh, caring about other people. And that, you know, starts with our uh, family and extends to our, um, you know, the people we work with and our uh, neighbors. And um, that's all God expects of us is just um, loving kindness. Certainly sounds. It seems simple easy, enough, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, half the country is not capable. It's, of, yeah. I can't stand the three people in the room. <laughs> half with the me. world is not. Yeah, capable it's of not doing. all easy. We're all uh, we're all sinners, and um, well, that's mostly, not mostly Sean. I mean, but that's not that's not a problem. Um, being a, we're, we're all sinners, and uh, God knows that, and that's why Jesus came. Our, if we want, our sins can be forgiven. Um, we can have a clean slate when we go to heaven. Uh, Rev I'm, I'm <laughs> Reverend Howard, could we do some confessions right now? Because I got. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time for that. <laughs> We'd need like eight episodes yeah. for that. Um, okay, so uh, so you were denied heaven, and did you jump back into your body? How did that work? No, he just sent me back, and it was um, a real shock because I went back into the. I went from ecstasy 
back into the body of pain and it um, took my breath away. Uh, and immediately geez. when I came back, um, the nurse who had been in the room at 8.30, it was now around 9 o'clock at night, she came into the room and um, said, a doctor has arrived to the hospital and you're going to have the surgery. So I had the surgery at 10 o'clock that night, Jeez. which was important because I needed some um, fixing going on yeah. in my gut. Wow. Need, needed some TLC. So, so hold on. So, so when when Jesus sent you back, he didn't tell you to become a minister. He just said, "Love oh, no. you're with." That's it. It was on you. No. You decided to become a minister. Yeah, that okay. that evolved over a period of years. Um, I thought I I really liked uh, church because there's a bunch of um, dopes like me trying to figure <laughs> out what life was about, and you know, um, there there are people trying trying to. Uh, figure out things and, and do better with their lives than just, um, you know, sort of bite and claw and scratch and dog eat dog, you know, which is what most of the world is about. How was it like telling your story? Uh, I mean, it, it's so unbelievable and, it, and it's hard and I'm sure there's skeptics out there. That you're probably listening right now. But how was it like first, whenever you first started telling people this story about what happened to you? Like your wife, for example. Yeah. Right. Well, um, initially, Pretty much everyone told me I was crazy, it didn't happen, and I should get over it. And that hurt a lot because I felt that I um, had experienced some incredibly sacred, wonderful, life-changing thing. And everybody's telling me, nah, you know, it didn't happen, get over it. And I'm like, no, it did happen, it's important, you know. And <laughs> I mean, I'm starting to think i got to, uh, you know, change the way I live and the way I treat people. And... Do you think you did that? Did your life take a full 180? Obviously, you're you're a Christian minister now, but do you think that you are doing what God told you to do? I'm doing the best I can. I mean, I I, I ain't no saint. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so many people have experienced these NDEs. Uh, we just went over case by case, but why you? Why you and not somebody else who has been clinically dead for more than three, four, five, ten minutes? Why do you well, think he came to you? I, I, I can think of um, a few reasons. One is um, in 1972, and this thing happened in 85, I had, um, I had a nun in a painting class, and I told her um, I was an atheist and I didn't want to have any religion in my class. And she and I became good friends. And she'd always send me these cryptic cards during um, holidays, like, I'm praying for you. And I was like, what, what's that about? You know, which <laughs> well, anyways, I find nice. out later she'd been praying for me and had the whole convent praying for me for 13 years every day. And like, you know, you, you get a whole convent of nuns praying for you. I mean, it's just going to happen. And it's like, you know, so I blame her for everything. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could uh, put in a f maybe four names. Does that convent take requests? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all sure. right. So you've been through it all. Um, what's, uh, what's the last final message you have for anyone out there that, uh, is maybe not living as well as they should, but maybe would like to? Well, you know, I believe that the world was created by God and we were, we were created by God and we're God's children. God wants us to have, um, a joyful, um, wonderful life and, um, God will equip us, um, emotionally, spiritually, with the things that we need to have that kind of life, um, no matter what our circumstances is. And if we rely upon God, um, every day can be a good day. And that's been my experience for the past uh, over 30 years is that um, my life's full of joy and good people and love and 
Um, you know, I, I, I have all the stuff that happens to people, you know, um, you know, I've had surgeries and accidents and, but you know, uh, with the help of God, I just, um, go through all this stuff, um, relying on God. And it's a, it's a wonderful way to live. I just want to hug you. That's all I want to do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, guys, I don't know if you have anything else. Um, that was. No, I'm sufficiently freaked out. I don't need anything. I else. Yeah. Oh, I got a <laughs> straight. I, I got a lot to think about here. There's no toys about it. Uh, I don't think I can talk to any of you people. ever again. <laughs> yeah. Reverend Howard, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. At the end of every episode... Uh-oh, Sean. I know. Uh-oh. We play a game. Yeah, you're going to say that word. I know, in front of Reverend. Okay, it's called Fact or Fucked, but hear me out. It's, yeah. it's F-U-C-T. It's really cute. It's adorable, yeah. yeah. So That's it's Fact word. or F-U-C-T. Okay. Are you in? You want to play? Yeah. All right, here we go. Fact or Fucked. Dasha. The study of the brain structure and function is called neuropsychology. Fact or fact? I'll have to go with fact. Fact. Reverend Howard. Fact it is. Very good. He just shook his head. <laughs> Remember, this is an audio-only podcast. <coughs> okay. nice, oh, sorry. nice job. Steve. Here we go. Founded in 1978, the International Association for Near-Death Studies still holds annual conferences about NDEs in major U.S. cities. Fucked. Fucked. Reverend Howard? Fact. That is a fact. Damn. <laughs> the, I, you don't know the INDS? You're killing it. You are I told you I was going to lose. Pat, <clears throat> according to Zoroastrianism, your afterlife is determined after you cross the Bridge of Judgment. That will either broaden or narrow as you walk, depending on how you lived your life. Damn. So based on Zoroaster, so I would say fact. Fact. Reverend? Fact. That is a fact. He is killing it, everybody. <laughs> Three more and we'll let you oh, go. I yeah, promise. but he has Jesus whispering in his ear. <laughs> yeah. He's cheating. Yeah, that's He's cheating. Like, hey, hey, it's true. <laughs> Dasha, in 1991, a romantic comedy was released titled Defending Your Life and was about contending your life's actions in limbo and featured Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep, and Rip Torn. Rip Torn, huh? Uh, all those beautiful names. Uh, fact? Fact. Reverend Howard? No, fuck. It is fact. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh wow. I didn't think the cast was accurate. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, know the, I saw the movie, but I, I don't remember all those people. Albert it, Brooks, Meryl Streep, and Rip, Rip Torn. Torn. Listen, that movie had such an effect on me. It's one of the reasons I did this, because I will oh. never forget it. That's why this life right. review thing is like, still, it hurts me inside. Yeah, and you're clearly <laughs> become a better person. <laughs> I have so many questions. You've been a Rip Torn fan since then, huh? All right. He's been Rip Torn. Rip Torn. Steve. Hey. The instrument used to monitor and record brain activity is called a Svigma manometer. Oh, God. (laughs) I want to... Oh, gosh. I want to say fucked. Reverend? Yes, I agree with... That is a fact. Look at Damn. that word. That's oh, a crazy I, didn't, word. <laughs> I didn't think no, there was any way that you would pronounce that. That is wrong. That's right. A sphygmomanometer is a blood pressure gauge. You, you should say we'll that up. abbreviations. I think, is, I think you're wrong. We'll, we'll look it up Sean. later. All right, we'll look it up. What? Abbreviations? Abbreviations I'll stick with next time. Last one. We've got to let him go. Ready. Pat. In 1504... Bosch, a Dutch painter, created a three-dimensional painting showing angels escorting people out of the darkness and through a bright tunnel. Bosch doesn't sound Dutch. 
but I don't trust you to make up anything when it comes to art, so I'm going to say fact. Fact. Reverend? Fact. That I, is a, I love the painting. Uh, yeah, isn't that an amazing <laughs> painting? Thank you. Huge thank you to Reverend Howard for coming on the show and being so cool with us and sharing his story. You can find him out at uh, his website, howardstorm.com. Uh, he has amazing artwork. And you can check out his book, My Descent Into Death. Get it wherever books are sold. It's amazing, guys. I mean it. He goes into more detail than he went today. We only have a limited time. Howard, would you like to say goodnight? Um, thank you for having me on, and uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at WeekendSuperheroes.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, anywhere you can find your podcast, just Google Weekend Superheroes. Tasha, would you like to say goodnight? Good night, everyone. <laughs> Steve. Um, I'm confused. I am. No, no Darius. <laughs> yeah, Darius can't say goodbye to the ladies. I, I'm sitting in his seat, so I get to say it. Okay. <laughs> right, yeah. Fair enough. And Pat. Good night, ladies. And always remember to podcast responsibly. <laughs>